0: Well, good morning, everyone. This is County Supervisor Joe Simidian. Delighted to have you with us this morning. Uh, we are uh, once again uh, pulling together a conversation uh, about the status of uh, COVID-19 here in our county. And again, this is County Supervisor Joe Simidian, uh Santa Clara County Supervisor. I represent the 5th District, the north northwest portions of our uh, county. Uh, but a number of you may also have been included because I have represented you previously, uh, perhaps in the state uh, legislature during my 12 years there. So uh, wherever you are, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, we do have a pair of uh, really uh, top flight guests today to help us understand just uh, what's happening with COVID-19, the coronavirus here in Santa Clara County. And as always, the goal of this conversation is to Uh, Provide some information about the status of the virus in the county, how our county has responded uh, Also to talk a bit about uh, What you can do to keep yourself healthy and perhaps of most interest uh, often is uh, just where we're headed in the future So uh, to help us with that conversation uh, We have dr. Jeff Smith who is the county executive the CEO for our Santa Clara County organization uh, Dr. Smith has been a doctor, a lawyer, and an elected official over the course of his lifetime. Uh, he got his uh, MD, his uh, medical degree from the University of Southern California. Uh, he then uh, went on to practice medicine and became the chief medical officer uh, at uh, Contra Costa's County Health Services. He uh, then later uh, picked up a law degree, a Juris Doctor degree from the University of California at Berkeley, uh, and uh, also served in local government himself as an elected official as a council member at the City of Martinez, and then uh, later as a member of the Contra Costa County Board of Supervisors. He has been here with us at Santa Clara County for more than a decade now as our CEO. And again, uh, we welcome and thank Dr. Jeff Smith for being part of the uh, conversation this morning. And then I'm also very pleased to have with us for the first time uh, Ms. Luisa Buada. Ms. Buada is the CEO of the Ravenswood Family Health Center uh, and she brings 40 years of experience in healthcare uh, administration, management, organizational development. Uh, she received her Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from the University of California, San Francisco, and then later picked up a master's degree in public health uh, and public health policy and administration from uh, UC Berkeley as well. Uh, she uh, helped found uh, the Ravenswood Family Health Network. Uh, which is uh, a federally qualified health center back in, gosh, I guess, 2001. They're headquartered in East Palo Alto with a full scope of health care services just across the county line in San Mateo County. Uh, but they have been serving patients in southern San Mateo County and northern Santa Clara County for a very long time. And uh, earlier this year, uh, with Ms. Buada at the helm, Ravenswood acquired uh, Mayview Community Health Center, one of the nation's oldest and most successful nonprofit healthcare providers here in Santa Clara County, so the Santa Clara County connection is uh, even stronger as we speak. So again, we have both uh, Dr. Jeff Smith and Ms. Luisa Buada. Uh, you got a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, a healthcare administrator, a county executive—all rolled up into these two folks. Uh, lots of experience, lots of expertise. And again, thank you to both of you uh, for being here with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the point of today's call is to Uh, make sure that we share with you all uh, information about the status of COVID-19 in Santa Clara County, Uh, talk a bit about the county's response, and uh, talk about what you can do to keep yourself healthy, where we're headed in the future. Most important, I want to make time for plenty of questions, so I want to move right along here. Uh, If you would like to ask a question, please press star 3 at any time during the call. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 3 at any time during the call. And um, we will have someone to help queue up your questions. Can't get to them all. I'm afraid we always have more good questions than we have time for, but we will try to get through as many as possible. And, again, I'll ask each of the panelists a couple of questions uh, before uh, we get to your questions as they uh, line up in the queue. So thank you for that. And I should just mention, if you have uh, questions, uh, you know, on – any aspect of COVID-19. There's a lot of good information on our Santa Clara County Public Health Department's website. Uh, It keeps getting uh, better and better, more and more robust, I think. Thanks in part to the critiques and suggestions that have been offered by you all on these calls, uh, or go to my own uh, webpage at supervisorsimidian.com or our Facebook page. Again, there's information there and we can lead you to other good sources. So let's uh, start right away with Dr. Jeff Smith. Again, this is County Supervisor Joe Simitian welcoming you to the call today. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Dr. Smith, thank you. I'm going to let folks know one more time that if they have questions along the way, they can just push star three at any time. Uh, but I think, uh, Dr. Smith, the it, it, best place to start is by uh, noting, as uh, we've read in the papers and uh, perhaps uh, seen online, heard on radio, uh, the state, Governor Newsom, recently announced a new system Uh, to assess each county's uh, status, if you will, uh, and and, uh, uh, color codes uh, uh, go along with it. Uh, Could you briefly describe what the new system entails? I think uh, I've been getting a lot of questions on that subject from my own constituents.
1: Well, thank you, supervisor, and thanks for having me. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. The um, new system changes. the direction that the state is looking at with regard to their response. Basically, they're categorizing all counties within four tiers. Um, The most uh, challenging tier being purple, the least uh, being yellow, and then red and orange in between. And they're basing their uh, allocation on two measures. One is the rate of positivity of testing, and the other is the uh, number of cases per 100,000 in a day. Uh, So, based on those two criteria, you get put into one of the tiers. There are two adjustments that are also done. One is an adjustment for the amount of testing that a county is doing. So, the more testing you do, the um you do get a credit for that and another adjustment which hasn't been implemented yet because they're still working on it is what they're calling an equity adjustment having to do with the realization that this disease affects lower social economic groups more frequently so the more testing you do in target populations the better off you are we're currently in red which um, We're only there because of the fact that we do a lot of testing, otherwise we would have been in purple, Um, but it does indicate that we're having some improvement.
0: Great. So, Dr. Smith, just to be clear, we started out in purple a week or two ago, uh, and then once the state had a chance to assess our metrics, we moved into red, which is a uh, somewhat better place to be in terms of
1: our ability to open up a little bit more. Do I have it right? Correct. Uh, We uh, really only made it into red because we do so much testing uh, much because of the advocacy on your part and the rest of the board to ramp up our testing considerably. So we do a lot more testing than surrounding counties.
0: Well, you you anticipated, of course, my follow up on the testing. Uh, You're absolutely right. This has been an area uh, that's been a particular priority for me because, as you've heard me say many times, I have always felt that uh, until and unless we could uh, test more robustly, we weren't going to be able to make thoughtful decisions countywide, or at least our public health officer would need that information to make her judgments, uh, that we were also going to need it uh, as a matter of um, uh, economic necessity if businesses are going to go back to work and people are going to show up in their offices or places of employment. Uh, and then also frankly, just so you know a grandparent can hug their grandkid, as I've said on uh, previous uh, calls as well. Uh, but um Dr. Smith, we as you know, we've been pushing uh, the count at the county after ramping up our own county testing efforts to get the larger health care systems uh, throughout the county to step up as well. I'm thinking of uh, organizations like Kaiser Healthcare that probably serve 30 to 40% of our county's uh, patients, uh, or uh, in many parts of the county, it might be the Palo Alto Medical Foundation, Sutter Health. How's that effort going?
1: Well, um, there is some improvement in terms of uh, numbers from Kaiser, but nowhere near what they should be doing. Uh, Stanford's uh, doing a good job, and they're at actually advertising uh, in the region for more individuals to get tests. Um, we're having negative results with uh, uh, regional and HCA, and uh, AMP still is a challenge. Uh, we need to really see them doing at least three or 400 um, tests per day per their population. So it's really not even close to that at this point.
0: All right. Well, just so our listeners know, if they're part of one of these larger healthcare organizations, if they have symptoms, they are entitled to a test pursuant to the county health, uh, officers directive. If they have been exposed to someone with a confirmed case of COVID, they are titled entitled to a test. And if they are, um, Someone who is in what's deemed a high-risk category, it could be anything from someone who rides mass transit on a regular basis to someone who is a grocery store clerk, uh, they're also entitled to a test. Do I have that, that right? Uh, I, I, I seem to recall those are the three criteria. Yes?
1: Correct. And okay. anybody who meets those three criteria is entitled to a test, and nobody should be able to get turned away. All right. Well, we'll keep push, push,
0: pushing on that as well as the uh, county sites, some of which are um, uh, there on a day after day basis, some of which are what we call pop up sites in various parts of the county. But uh, to your point, understood that uh, the county organization itself is going to need to partner with these other organizations to get our testing up. And as you pointed out, that testing is key to moving from uh, one category to the next to the next. So um if we move from purple to red what does that mean for Santa Clara County? So how how is life going to be different for folks uh different for businesses, different for individual members of the public uh now that we've moved from uh, purple to red and as we aspire to get into orange and yellow uh what what does that what does that look like for our county?
1: What does that mean? Well, the local health order and the state health order are Similar, but there are some significant differences and the difference uh, that happens um, on the ground when we move from uh, purple to red is that we now allow indoor personal haircut services like hair salons and nail salons we also allow malls to be open at 25 percent capacity um, There's also an allowance for gymnasiums and workout areas to be open at limited capacity, 10%. um, Allowance for museums and uh, uh, those activities indoors for um, minimum percentages. So those are really the big things. The challenges have to do with indoor gatherings, including restaurants. Uh, The red criteria statewide allows a local uh, public health officer to consider opening up indoor dining or indoor gatherings, however. Our public health officer has reviewed the literature and the recent findings that show that those kinds of activities are very risky. So we are still not allowing indoor dining or theaters or indoor gatherings um, with with our order. Got it.
0: So to grossly oversimplify this uh, relatively complex process, We have four tiers now, purple, red, orange, and yellow. Purple is the most restrictive, as you said, then red, then orange, then yellow. We have moved from one tier to another, from purple to red. That allows for more activity, uh, for more engagement, still with uh, the risk mitigation measures in place. But there are two or three areas where our own public health officer has made the determination, we still need to exercise an abundance of caution that a a fair summary?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, good. Thank you for that. Uh, And um, the testing uh, criteria is uh, duly noted. And Dr. Smith, just to sort of uh, wrap this piece up for a moment, I I picked up the newspaper this morning and noted a story on the front page of the local news section in our Mercury News that said that uh, the case count was up and the uh, that actually our, uh, this past week we had uh, one of our worst days in terms of fatalities, yet I also noticed when I spent time looking at the uh, data on our county dashboards that um, it seems to me there's some good news here, which is how we ended up in the red uh, out of uh, out of the prior level because we were looking at what was a 4% positivity, meaning 4% of the tests were coming back positive, and that's slowly but steadily gone down to 3%. Am I, am I right that that's the cause for some cautious optimism or am I reading too much into that decline?
1: No, I think you're correct. And regarding the newspaper um, article, I was also shocked to read it. I think uh, the numbers are a little inaccurate. I went back to look carefully. We did not get 13 deaths in one day. Um, Actually, the deaths yesterday, sadly, were four, but, you know, that's four too many. I think what happened is the state was reporting um, our numbers based on accumulation of a week's cases, and then it got reported as daily. So, I've been contacting the state to try to find out what happened, but... um, it's not as bad as it looks from the article and you're right that the positivity rate going down is, is helpful.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for that. You know, at this point, before we go on to our next guest, Luisa Buada, I'd like to uh, offer a poll question and we're going to change up the question uh, this uh, go around. We had been using the same question just to sort of uh, take the pulse of our listeners from month to month to month. But, A new question, uh, this uh, this call, and uh, I will read the question twice, so uh, don't uh, worry that you have to keep track of it all too much. And I'm trying to get a sense uh, today uh, to help me in my understanding of where uh, people feel we are as a county uh, about the rate at which our county has, quote, opened up. Uh, As you all know, our public health officer made a judgment several months back now that uh, we needed to shelter in place. Uh, Over time, that uh, changed and we uh, moved to a a somewhat uh, different approach, which is called uh, risk mitigation, meaning we can uh, go back to our lives with a new normal, but concentrate on minimizing the risk through uh, social distancing and mask wearing and so on. Uh, But uh, a lot of conversation about uh, have we opened up too fast, have we opened up too slow? So here's the question for today. and. Uh, In a minute, I'll ask you to press one, two, three, or four to give your uh, take on this. I'm gonna ask you to press one if you think we are opening too slowly, to press two if you think we are opening up too quickly, press three if you think we have opened things up at more or less the right pace here in Santa Clara County, and press four if you really don't know or don't have an opinion because as a member of the general public, Uh, The combination of complexity, technicality, uh, and um, medical expertise is just uh, too much to uh, feel like you really can make an informed judgment about that. So press one if you think we've been opening too slowly. Press two if you think we've been opening too quickly. Press three if you think we're opening at about the right pace. And press four if you really just don't feel like you can offer an informed judgment about that. All right? Look forward to getting the results of the poll, and uh, as always, I want to acknowledge not a scientific sample by definition, the folks on this call, uh, and thank you to the thousands of you who are on the call, um, are people who uh, have a particular interest in the topic. But again, uh, press one for opening too slowly, press two for opening too quickly, press three for opening at about the right pace, and press four if you just don't know. All right, that allows us to get to uh, our next guest, which is Ms. Luisa Buada, and uh, let me welcome uh, Ms. Buada. We have worked together uh, on health care issues in uh, my district, and uh, I have worked with her previously when I was in the California State Senate uh, in the state legislature for a dozen years. So uh, I know of her talent and expertise, and I'm really pleased she could be uh, with us today. Ms. Buada, thanks thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're doing well.
2: Thank you for having me on the call. Happy to participate, and thank you for your nice words.
0: Well, well deserved. Let me just ask, um, I, and you know, I'm just curious, frankly. Uh, you've you've been providing healthcare services to two different counties, uh, or uh, patients in two different counties, uh, Santa Clara County, of course, and then San Mateo County, uh, immediately adjacent to the north. And I'm just curious, have, have there been differences in the response of the two counties? That do you feel like you you there's a noticeable difference in the approach that either the uh, public health officer in the two counties uh, is taking or the uh, county governments more broadly? Does it change the way you provide
2: services? Let me try it that way. (laughs) Well, it hasn't really changed the way we provide services, but yes, there's significant differences in the approach. i mean it's not either good or bad i would say it's very different in san mateo county they went into strict lockdown and um, really did a lot of prevention of very small firms from doing everything from fixing your plumbing in your house unless you know unless you were flooding they they stopped all all construction jobs and they stopped people on the roads uh, if they were more than 10 miles from their home so they were their response was isolation and not at all, even testing, and even when testing started picking up in Santa Clara County, uh, the only testing that's being offered is through Verily, which is a Google um, program. I think they have another another name now, but it's uh it's one where anyone can go be tested it's self administered, and um, your primary care doctor doesn't get a result, only the patient and so from a point of view as a as a provider of health care it's not really helpful because it doesn't tell us what's happening with our patients. Uh, on the other hand, in Santa Clara County, uh, testing started ramping up. Uh, in Actually, the, the planning for it started in May, and we've been part of the community health partnership. And the clinics have been working toward increasing testing, and the county has been providing us extra PPE and, and test um, material so that we can be sure that we can take care of you know our patients and expand testing we've had some limitations in the fact that you know our organization uh recently uh we're only recently have hired some extra staff to expand our testing to asymptomatic patients right now we're only doing symptomatic um, but our testing rate uh, for the Santa Clara county um, patients has been about one and a half percent positive relative to who we've tested but we're hoping to increase that with the help of Santa Clara county has been very very uh assertive in assisting us finding. Um, labs that can turn around tests within 48 to 72 hours, things that we really needed to be able to um, meaning, do meaningful testing because if you can't get a result for 14 to 17 days, it's it's meaningless at that point. And so um, so the real big difference is Santa, San Mateo County is into isolation, not so much testing, just stay away from everybody, and Santa Clara has been focusing more on you know, how can we get the economy going through better testing and uh, really understanding what's happening in the environment. I think those are the biggest differences.
0: Thank you. I and I'm, I'm curious as well about um, the how the community that you serve, and by which I'm I'm really referencing the fact that these are predominantly lower income patients. How are they being affected by COVID? Do you do you have uh, some sense of that from you know what's the what's the impact of the of the virus uh, in terms of their their lives, their work, their families, their health.
2: Well, I mean, the the emotional impact is huge. Uh, many of our patients have the lowest incomes. Um, more than eighty percent have incomes below. 200% of federal poverty which is a gross income of about 55,000 a year but 52% have incomes below 100% which is about $26,000 gross income a year so you can imagine in our in our region that's very very low income to start and that's assuming they're working and many of these are domestic workers they're people who um can't work now because they work in childcare they work in schools or they are doing jobs that um, are because of social distancing or they work in restaurants, they're busboys, they're waiters. Um, These are the kinds of things that um, they're not able to do. So people are suffering economically. Many of them also live in crowded, multi-generational family situations, uh, often renting one room per family, as it is because of the cost of living. And so the anxiety, depression, uh, we have had a lot of demand for behavioral health services, which we're providing via telephone and televideo because of trying to reduce exposure. And also you don't want to do a behavioral health Uh, meeting with a patient with a mask on. So we try to do it, you know, in a way that's safe and also allows them to see you if they can get on either a smartphone or a computer, which some, most people have smartphones. So, you know, these are the things that, um, you know, we're, we're experiencing. There's Just people are terribly worried that they will be evicted because they haven't been able to pay their rent. But with rent protection, they've been able to uh, stay in their places, but they don't know how they're going to pay the back rent. There has been efforts, I know, by philanthropy uh, to get money out to people in the greatest need to help people who may not have uh, may be documented because they have no access to any of the stimulus money. And so there's tremendous, like I said, tremendous fear and worry and sadness and anxiety and depression. That's what we're seeing. Thank you
1: for,
0: for that. Uh, it, it It's interesting and I think important to take note of the fact that uh, we've got um, sort of the the mental health, emotional well-being overlay on top of the other uh, challenges that people are struggling to manage. So um, thank you uh, both for sharing uh, your experience, uh, Ms. Buada and uh, Dr. Smith, and I uh, want to uh, see if we can uh, go to uh, poll results before we uh, take questions in a minute. But again, if you would like to ask a question, please uh, just give us uh, 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 your question by pushing star three at any point in the call. And uh, that will take us to, um, uh, that will take you, forgive me, to, our, to our, uh, our folks who are screening the questions and trying to get as many as possible in. And again, we are uh, getting a number, so thank you for that. We have uh, questions. If we uh, have you on the phone and you're live, we will, call on you by name and city so you know that you're up. And if you've been asking your question online, and thank you for that, um, we will uh, read out your question uh, and your name and try and get as many of those included as well. Uh, As for our poll results, uh, before we go to those questions, uh, I I am fascinated just because this is the first time we've asked this question. So the question, again, was uh, for our listeners on the uh, on the call, are we opening too fast, too slow, at about the right pace, or frankly, the, you know, just don't know, given the difficulty of assessing all these various factors. Uh, and here's what we got. We got uh, 13% who thought we were opening too slowly. We got 18% who thought we were opening too quickly. We got 46%, so almost half the sample, who said we th- that they thought we were opening at about the right pace. Uh, And then we got 23%, almost a quarter, who said, you know what, really just don't know, uh, given uh, all the factors. So again, 13% thought uh, perhaps too slowly, 18% thought perhaps too quickly, uh, 46% thought we were uh, about right, and a quarter of the sample, a little less, uh, 23% said, uh, frankly, just don't know, uh, given uh, the complexity of the situation. All right, we're gonna go to questions now. And uh, thank you again, Star 3, if you are trying to get a question into the hopper. And we're going to try and uh, go as quickly as we can to get as many questions in as we can. I'm going to start with Henrietta from uh, Palo Alto, who has a a question about uh, the challenge of getting healthcare organizations to provide testing. Henrietta, are you still with us on the line?
2: Yes, I most definitely am. Thank you so much. You stated earlier that the county was trying to get such health centers as Kaiser, Palo Alto Medical Center, and Sutter, to um, provide more testing. Why is that? A, a, why are they reluctant to do so? Is it a matter of money? Uh, what are the issues involved in that? And why wouldn't they step up and provide testing?
0: Dr. Smith, why don't I go to you with that one since you've had those interactions? And then I'll chime in as well.
1: Great question. I'm not sure I can be authoritative, but here's what we've heard so far. Um, Some of the systems disagree with the concept of doing screening testing, or that is testing people who are not symptomatic. They believe, some of them, that that's not their responsibility, that it's the county's responsibility to do that. Our argument back to them has been, this is a pandemic emergency. Uh, It's been declared a disaster. Um, It's all hands on deck to respond to the disaster. We don't have the luxury of um, parsing out responsibilities. Everybody has to be working together. Um, But I don't think it's money primarily. I think it's more A matter of how they see themselves situated in the community.
0: Thank you Dr. Smith and I would just add uh, for the caller and for uh, all of our listeners uh, you know a number of these systems have uh, said gee it's hard to which I would say yes it is Uh, and they've also noted that there are supply chain challenges uh, to which I would say yes there are Uh, but those are the same challenges that our county organization uh, has um, had to address, uh, step up, and, and meet and master. And Dr. Smith, uh, can assure you, I, I pushed, 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 uh, going back to uh, March uh, on the importance of ramping up the testing efforts. And uh, if Dr. Kamal from our public health uh, uh, department were on the, on the line, he would be uh, reminding us that the solution is to, if you uh, need more capacity, build it, buy it, or pool your test. That's the sort of three part uh, uh, mantra that he uh, keeps reminding all of us of, and I appreciate it. Uh, we didn't have the capacity when we started as a county health system, but uh, we had to either build it, buy it, or pool our tests. Uh, and that's something that uh, any of these larger healthcare providers should be able to do. And, uh, you know, Kaiser, of course, is the largest HMO in the country. Uh, and uh, Sutter uh, and uh, Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Sutter is uh, got goodness, I think, uh, something more than 20 hospitals in Northern California alone and something like 200 clinics. So, this is a public health order uh, from our public health officer, and uh, we're going to just keep push, push, pushing until we get the testing we need because, as Dr. Smith mentioned earlier, without that testing, our ability to move from one category to the next is significantly limited. With that testing, we have the ability not only to do a better job on the healthcare front, uh, but to open up uh, uh, appreciably sooner. All right, let's go to the next question from someone on the line, uh, Julie from Sunnyvale, uh, who I uh, will see if you're still on the line, had a question uh, about state guidelines. Julie, are you still with us?
2: Yeah, I'm here, can you hear me?
0: Absolutely, speak right up, please.
2: Okay, yeah, I have a question um, I'm curious as to why we're not following the state guidelines, It seems to be pretty consistent with the Santa Clara County um, Board of Public Health is that no matter what the state says, we're more strict, and our numbers don't seem to can you stop doing that? our numbers don't seem to um, make that necessary
0: dr. Smith, what's your take on that one?
1: Well, our local order is what's called a risk reduction order, and it's based on The activity and how risky it is, and the major difference that we have now with the state has to do with indoor gatherings. There was just a recent uh, report from CDC that demonstrated convincingly that indoor gatherings uh, almost double the risk of transmission of the disease. So we're taking a you know pretty conservative approach that it's not worth exposing our uh, constituents to twice the risk by promoting indoor gatherings and indoor dining.
0: All right. And a
1: question for uh, both uh,
0: Luisa Buada and Dr. Jeff Smith, Um, uh, at first from Jerry and then from Ruth Kay, both in Palo Alto about the smoke. uh, And um, uh, apparently they're both uh, experiencing the same, Phenomenon. Let me go first to Jerry if he's still, if he or she, forgive yeah. me, I can't tell. Uh, what's yeah. the question, Jerry?
2: Girl. Yeah, I'm just concerned about um, Is do you anticipate that the virus is going to maybe uh, uh, get worse because of all our bad air? And how does it, how do we interact, how does that interact with the virus?
0: And from Ruth, also in Palo Alto, Ruth, Ruth. I'm here. And why don't you add, uh, because I think your question is uh, related, yes?
2: Yes. I just wondered if the smoke has any effect on alleviating some of the uh, virus that's in the air. In other words, can the virus that's spread through the air be affected by the smoke?
0: Okay. Thank you both. Um, Luisa Buada, you want to start with that one uh, and or then we can go to Jeff Smith.
2: Yeah, I would say that the the biggest um, issue with the smoke are especially for people who have respiratory issues like asthma, or people just people in general getting that ash in their you know in their uh, respiratory system is not good for their health generally, and if that compromises people who are then exposed to COVID, I think it could have a factor. So it is important for people to wear masks. I've ordered all my staff who are working externally to wear N95 masks when they're moving outside and we keep all the windows closed and unfortunately we can't close our HVAC uh, systems down because we need air exchanges to prevent COVID within our buildings so we do have several filters uh, that help for indoor air but I think in general the public should wear masks. And they should wear, if they can, N95 or better masks. That ones that screen out some of that, uh, those smoke part, I mean, those ash particulates because some of them are very small, and uh, they are not helpful if they get into your lungs. As far as the smoke killing the virus, no, the smoke will not kill the virus because this is not the virus. Yeah, has to be killed like something like with alcohol or uh, other kinds of antiviral chemicals.
0: Dr. Smith,
1: anything you want to add
2: to that? Thank you, Ms. Well, I just uh, reemphasize what
1: Louisa said, is that uh, the quality of air right now throughout the entire Bay Area is uh, very risky for those who are already compromised, and it's actually unhealthy for those who aren't. So um, it's important to wear masks, not only for the virus, but also because of the air. Uh, The only other thing I would say is that it does change individual patterns that people have people want to stay indoors uh, with fans on with air conditioning on Um, those kinds of changes in the patterns of behavior can affect the transmission of the disease if you're not sheltering with your family or if you have people um, inside with you for long periods of time that might be infected That's a potential problem. So we're very concerned from multiple perspectives about the coincidence of the virus and the uh, air quality problem. So, Dr. Smith, did I understand correctly
0: then? it's not so much that there's a direct connection or interaction between the smoke and the virus. It's that the smoke changes our human behavior and the change in human behavior changes uh, what happens with respect to the virus. Yes?
1: Correct.
0: Got it. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, we have a, a, a question from uh, Mike in Saratoga, and then Lisa in Palo Alto um, about uh, testing and travel. Uh, so I'm going to bundle those two together. Let me uh, double check and see if Mike is still on the line. I believe you're there, Mike. Yes.
1: Yes, I'm here. So the the question here is is you know for people that who is going to travel abroad, especially to Asian country they require COVID nineteen test result uh during boarding time. And the test should be performed uh seventy two hours before the boarding hour. Um our test usually the result won't be released until you know two or three days or maybe even longer. So is there any way that and they don't guarantee that, seventy two hours. Is there any way that we can expertise these testing result, you know, so we can meet the requirement during the boarding hour.
0: Thank you. And I think we have a similar question from Lisa in Palo Alto, but let's check in with Lisa and make sure that I understand her question and we have it as well. Lisa?
2: Hello. Um, I think my question is a little more general, which is more, let's just say you're going to get together with children who live in a different area and you want to get tested before that to know that you are okay before you see them, um, things like that. So I think the prior question was very specific about you know, turnaround time and all that. Mine was a little broader for situations that might call for testing, but that aren't where you're systematic or have been specifically exposed to be. All right, I'm Dr. also Dr. wondering about the, the, the um,
0: wisdom of having cleaning people come to your house, even if you're not there, if you are
2: able to answer that question.
0: All right, Lisa's double dipping on the questions, but we're going to let her. Thank you for that, Lisa. Doctor, S- Doctor Smith, I'm going to ask uh, uh, you to start on the pre-travel uh, testing, and in Lisa's question, uh, the uh, the the issue of not just uh, travel, as in hop on an airplane to go off somewhere, but uh, you know, interacting with extended family, for example. And then I'll go to Ms. Buada for that second question about. Uh, the wisdom of having folks uh, come into the house to uh, help with uh, cleaning or repair. But, Dr. Smith, let's start with that testing and travel and
1: uh, extended family and such. Thank you. I think the crux of the question is uh, turnaround time, and um, there has been a lot of variety depending upon the laboratory that's used in the location that you get tested. The tests done through Valley Health or Medical Center, uh, which includes not only the pop-up tests but the tests done at our clinics um, and the, uh, for the most part, the um, uh, medical clinics that we're affiliated with, like Ravenswood, um, all of those are right now tending to have a turnaround time of one to two days, but. That's by no means guaranteed. It depends on how many people are needed to be tested, and it can depend upon access to supplies. But we feel like we're doing a pretty reasonable job there. Other laboratories are taking considerably longer to turn around. Uh, Quest, Geyser, others are seeing many days. So um, the best thing to do if you need a test result quickly is to uh, check where you're getting your uh, specimen collection done, where they're, what laboratory they're using. Certainly, always welcome to come to our pop-up test sites. But I don't think we can guarantee it'll be done in time for you to be on the boarding uh, platform. In terms of going to visit family, um, Same thing with the turnaround, and testing is certainly important. Um, However, it's also important to remember that uh, test results only tells us what your status was at the time the specimen was collected. And so it doesn't mean that you haven't uh, been in contact with somebody who's infectious after that or even a day or so before that. So when you're planning a trip to your family, grandkids, those kinds of things, still use all the protective measures, whether or not you have a positive test.
0: All right, thank you. And um, uh, uh, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, Dr. Smith, just out of the blue. Has there been any discussion, uh, because uh, you, of course, are um, you know deeply embedded in our county's EOC, the Emergency Operations Center? Has there been any discussion of having a testing facility at the airport here in San Jose,
1: for example? Um, there's not been a uh, recent discussion of it. Um, certainly, that's something we can bring up with the city uh, since the city owns the airport. Um, we would have some logistics, but uh, I don't think we would be opposed to it, so... I'll take that as advice from the supervisor to check into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that at, at, at not even advice. I, I'm not sure what I think of it, but I, I, I do think as uh, travel resumes uh, and uh, particularly with some places requiring uh, testing, uh, you know, close to immediately before departure, um, uh, this issue is likely to come up more and more. It's one of the things that I value about these calls is that it gives our constituents a chance to share uh, things that are top of mind and just day-to-day challenges for them. And then uh, Ms. Boada, as you heard, uh, Lisa from Palo Alto also asked about uh, the advisability of having folks uh, come into the house, whether it's to clean or I'll expand it a little bit and say, you know, maybe it's the plumber or the electrician uh, or someone to fix the washing machine. What are your thoughts about that?
2: So I've actually had that situation myself. And um, so I people I wear a mask. I'm there when the plumber came in. I've worn a mask. I have him wear a mask, make sure he's wearing the mask the whole time he's doing the work. And then afterwards, um, make sure I'm wiping everything down with disinfected. Um, when you're not, I mean, if someone's coming in to clean the house, I would say, first of all, make sure that they understand they should wear a mask the whole time. And if you're not there, that's um, probably a good thing. Although you, you won't know if they did wear the mask, but that they use products that are antiviral as far as cleaning any surfaces that you'll come in contact with. And then because, you know, virus, you, the virus is greater than five microns, which means that it will fall to the surfaces within 30 minutes. And depending on the type of surface, can can if it's if certain surfaces like metal and plastic, it can last up to three days. But wood surfaces and other surfaces, it's typically about 30 minutes, based on recent studies. But nonetheless, I mean, you would want to come in and any surfaces you would regularly touch, you would want to wipe down again after the housekeeper and also stay out of the house for a certain period of time to allow the uh, particles to settle. And um, there are, um, well, in a clinical environment, we use other solutions like defogging, but that's a little much. So uh, that's what I would suggest is if you really need to have a housekeeper do that, that you would follow those precautions. Make sure you wipe down all handles with antiviral wipes after the visit as well when you come home. And I would suggest you wear a mask that day and everyone in your household just to be certain uh, as a matter of safety if you feel like you really need to have that cleaning done.
0: All right. Thank you very much. I'm going to go now to um, both a... uh, uh, a web question and a uh, live question, the live question both of which deal with schools, and uh, a, a topic about which I get um, a lot of questions. So I'm glad we have Mark and then uh, also a web question that I'll read from Mustafa about schools. Mark from San Jose, are you still on the line? No, but Mark uh, uh, wants to know uh, you know why we can't open schools. And uh, then Mustafa just wants to know, when can kids go back to school, a uh, common question. So I think what I'd like to do is start with Dr. Smith for the Santa Clara County uh, specific information and then go to Luisa Buada just to get her take on the implications of uh, students going back to school, um, which is you know a huge topic uh, in uh, almost every conversation that I have. Dr. Smith, uh, so, What's the situation with kids going back to school here in Santa Clara County in specific? Great
1: question. Well, the state criteria under uh, the red tier allows schools to open uh, for in-person uh, learning with a lot of protocols and protections and masking and separation and all of that stuff. Uh, if the county has been in the red tier for two weeks. And so we anticipate that that will be true. Um, And the question really has to do with the schools and the school districts itself. Um, The county has developed a number of criteria, protocols, separation, social distancing protocols, that would have to apply but each school has its own decision to make about whether it feels it can comply or whether it decides that it'll do uh open or uh tele tele um in non in, in person or non in person uh, learning um in this county um We've been working with the schools pretty vigorously, and there's a very mixed response. Some are very motivated to do in-person teaching. Others are anxious not to. So it's going to really depend on the particular school district.
0: Got it. Thank you. Ms. Bowada. do you have thoughts about this? Because I know you've got uh, patients who are You know, in both counties and, uh, you know, many of whom uh, by virtue of their income, quite frankly, don't have access to other options uh, if they're going to go back to work themselves. What's your take on uh, youngsters heading back to school and and what that can and should look like uh, in your experience?
2: Well, it's it's very complicated for our families, uh, particularly the immigrant families, who struggle anyway to even understand how our schools work when they work normally. And so try many of them don't have access to uh, the Internet or Wi-Fi or computers, and they can't go to the library and use the computers at the library to help their kids. And so they're trying to figure out, like, how how do my kids get educated at all? And um, if they can't go online, there are various programs that are being set up. You know, if if they find out about it, Uh, my employees actually are not so very different than than our patients in that um, many of the line staff uh, come from the same communities and struggle with the same situation. And um, most of them do have some way to go online, but they can't work five days a week, so it means losing income when they have to stay home and help the kids do their Zoom um, education and um, then when they have to go to school in person often to keep the, the numbers of children down in the classroom, it means different ages of their children go at different times to school so that further inhibits their ability to be able to you know, go to work as well as get their kids to school at different times and pick them up. and I think the biggest impact is also on little kids who are used to. You you want them to share, share their toys, uh, learn to do things. uh, You know, talk, read, and sing. Well, talking, and they don't wear masks. The three year olds. My daughter in law is a preschool teacher, and so you know how you you can't you can't promote singing, for example, because that puts more viruses in the air and the kids aren't supposed to hug each other and they're not supposed to touch each other and you're coming behind them washing their hands constantly and keeping, they're not to share toys. So there's a lot of things that we would, that are part of uh, socialization that are being affected even when kids can go to school in person. Um, And there's a lot of compliance on the part of the, the younger children. You know, we're seeing them because they're hearing these messages from their families and everything. But what is this going to mean in terms of their their life experience? That's a lot of the, the worry people have. Um, so these are just some thoughts that have been going through my mind.
0: Thank you. We've got uh, a, a number of questions here. Uh, all uh, from folks who are uh, on the phone so let about testing so let me um, take all three questions first uh, panelists and then uh, we'll sort out who can respond to what so Jeff in Los Altos has a question Jeff are you still on the line
2: yes I am
0: thanks and your question is what sir
1: Um, on Thursday I did a pop-up testing in Los Altos And uh, I was impressed. I got the results in 26 hours. My question is, what is the accuracy? It was one of the full gen genetics, I guess, uh, viral RNA testings. And I'm curious, uh, you know, is it 90% accurate, 95% accurate? And the reason is because I was exposed to a person who – and that's why I got the test – but they were tested out of state and
2: at their test it was only listed as sixty percent accurate.
0: All right, we'll come back to that. Thank you so much for the question though. And Dan in Mountain View, I think you have a question about testing as well.
2: Yes, I do. I think if they give my question, my question around testing is regarding the fast turnaround results. Uh, based on what I learned from uh, uh, Europe and Asia, there are test kits that literally you can wait there, particularly at some of those countries in their airports. You're basically locked up for about an hour or so, and you have to wait for the test results to come out. So for that matter, I think going back to what the doctor was saying, we're saying that uh, we're waiting days, uh, 48, to 70 hours. That would be good for us compared to uh, you know, a week or so. I think if there are tests that you can wait for a couple of hours, I think we should look into whether we're able to get those tests in the U.S. and whether there's any issues why we couldn't have those type of tests, because even 48 hours is too long for someone to be walking around and asymptomatically spreading the virus. So I would just like to know whether it is possible to do that here in the U.S. All
0: right. Thank you for the question. And our third and final question on this testing uh, area, at least for the moment, is uh, from CS in Palo Alto. CS, are you still on the line with us?
1: Sure, thanks, Joe. When I look at the county's long-term care facility data in terms of timeframes of resident case versus staff cases, I kind of surmise that staff tend to bring the cases first and then likely to transmit to residents due to some being asymptomatic. So my question is, could staff members you know, be eligible for testing even if they don't have symptoms? Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks so much for the question. Uh, and thanks to all of you for being on the call and uh, caring enough to give up a part of your uh, Sunday. So uh, let's start with Dr. Smith. And uh, Ms. Buwada, please chime in if you have uh, anything you want to add to supplement these. But in terms of our testing regimen, um, the first question had to do with accuracy. Second question had to do with uh, whether or not there's potential for even more rapid results. And the third question had to do with testing of staff in long-term care facilities. Dr. Smith?
1: All great questions. Uh, the first one about accuracy, the um, PCR test, which is a polymerase chain reaction test, which looks at the uh, RNA in the sample, is considered the gold standard and the most accurate test. And that's the test that we're talking about in general that takes uh, 24 to 48 hours to do. Um, Its accuracy is somewhere in the 90-plus range. But again, it's considered the gold standard, and the only way to get more accurate is with very specialized uh, examinations which aren't, oh, aren't done in public. They're only uh, research. So that's the best we have. Um, in terms of the quick turnaround tests, there are technologies that are out there at this point. Um, strip tests, you know, sort of like a pregnancy test and also quick turnaround tests of other types. All of them uh, have less accuracy than the PCR test Um, In our country, the federal government has controlled access to all of those tests, and um, so they're not available to us yet until the feds decide they're going to distribute them in whatever way they distribute them. They certainly do have some great potential, um, and we're anxiously at the county trying to Get in position to get access to some of them. Uh, Doctor Smith, before be you go on,
0: excuse the interruption. Are those the so-called antigen tests that some of our listeners have been reading about? Right, um, they are. Okay, and There's, then the question about long-term care staff and uh,
1: testing for them. In <clears throat> in Santa Clara County, we have a strike force. Um, that deals with our cases in the long-term care facilities and setting up protocols and procedures. And we're um, asking that the staff be tested uh, every month uh, in order to be evaluated for their risk and uh, the patients be tested every two to three weeks. Um, Yes, you can get a test if you're asymptomatic and as a matter of fact that's part of the order that we just talked about earlier so the caller is correct we have studied the transmission in the long-term care facilities most of the transmission comes from visitors and so the protocols that we've asked the facilities to set up are very focused on preventing new um, people from contacting patients in the facility unless we know their status.
0: All right, thank you. Ms. Buada. any thoughts about testing? Uh, because you mentioned that you've uh, been uh, dealing with this issue in your uh, facilities as well.
2: So I agree with, with Dr. Smith. The PCR test is the uh, gold standard and it's the most accurate. And uh, we are also, we're using Fulgent. Uh, which has that test, uh, the person men- mentioned Fulgent, uh, which actually the county referred them to us. We also use Quest, and they're using the PCR as well. So I know that Stanford testing, uh, for those people who use Stanford, um, they also are using only the PCR test. Uh, one of the good things, that, just going back to someone who's talking about getting a test quickly to travel, uh, Stanford does have a quick turnaround, and what's good is if you sign up through and put uh, uh, the, create a portal for yourself called MyChart, that you can go in and get your results without having to wait for someone to call you. So that is the best thing that can be done.
0: All right. Thank you uh, to you both for that. We have a number of questions from a number of places uh, that deal with very sort of specific what about this and what about that uh, with respect to various activities. So uh, let's go to Betsy in Saratoga, who's got a question about libraries, if Betsy is still on the line. And I believe she is. Betsy, good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning,
2: Joe. Uh, Thanks for having this. Uh, I enjoy it every time. My concern is I've talked to some seniors in Saratoga who are very frustrated because the only way you can get books in the library is a complicated method on your computer. Why can't the county libraries now open with 25 at a time, no sitting and reading, no using the computers, and let us get back to something all of us really miss, our library.
0: All right. Dr. Smith, I was going to turn that one to you, but then I, I'm betting that you're going to say the library district is actually a separate entity and that, that that's a
1: question best addressed by the library district, yes? <laughs> well, that would be my typical approach, but I can give you a little inside information is that uh, the library administration's looking into options. They've been focused on online ordering and uh, curbside uh, uh, distribution um, with uh, the new uh, protocols uh, they're looking at other options but they haven't finalized any of them yet so I can just assure the caller that they're working on it and all like right Joe well says it's up to them <laughs> thank you the
0: the uh, in this case however to some extent the them is is us uh, I should let uh, Betsy the caller from Saratoga know that Uh, two members of the Board of Supervisors, Supervisor Mike Wasserman and I sit on the governing board for the library district. So uh, Betsy, uh, my office will follow up with you and uh, we'll uh, make sure that we follow up on your request slash suggestion to see uh, what's possible. So stay tuned on that one. Then on the web uh, we have a um, a question uh, from uh, Carol, who wants to know when can hair salons open. Dr. Smith, when can hair salons open? Uh,
1: now. Okay. Um, as long as, as long as they obey social distancing and protocol requirements. So it basically means you have to keep a mask on. Both the provider and the uh, consumer have to have a mask on during the process and. They have to have a certain amount of separation during their visit, uh, but now is the time they can open. All right.
0: And then uh, Katie in Los Altos uh, has a question about uh, playgrounds and parks, I believe. Katie, are you still on the call?
2: I am. Thanks very much for taking my call, and I would just like to say I also am excited about the future of progress at the libraries. Uh, but as the mother of two small children who are home constantly with a very tiny backyard, I'm just curious about playgrounds and if they may ever be open again, both school and uh, and town park playgrounds.
1: Dr. Smith. Well, um, the local order doesn't preclude them from being open, um, nor does the state, but it does put a bunch of conditions upon them in terms of, masking and social distancing and um, concern about um, cleansing and hygiene. Um, In general, outdoors is fairly safe as long as you're masked and not closely associated with individuals that you don't know. Um, But there is some concern about place structures and the like because even though the risk of transmission through fomites is low. There's still some risk.
0: Dr. Um, Smith, for those on the call, excuse the interruption who don't know what a fomite is, could you uh, <laughs> translate that, please?
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a fomite is a surface or a non-animated object that transmits virus and particles back and forth. So like okay. a slide or something. Okay. So, so a fomite is applied with ink on it.
0: Is that what a fomite is?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Thank you so for you that. So you should check, check with your your local agency, whether it's a, a school park or a city park. And they'll give you the criteria. Some of those agencies have decided on their own to close parks, which are not required to do.
0: All right. And my recollection, uh, Dr. Smith, here in Santa Clara County with respect to county parks, which serve only a a particular function, um, we've kept our parks open from day one. And in fact, I was pleased we were able to waive fees to encourage people to get outdoors, uh, but uh, have discouraged people from, uh, to your point, uh, using uh, structures or facilities, picnic tables as an example, uh, that could prove problematic with respect to the virus. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Correct. We are, okay. parks are all open. It's just the gatherings that are prohibited. Like you say, picnics, the like, and the indoor activities have been closed.
0: Thank you. And Ms. Buada, if you've got a thought about the the health impacts of such a an arrangement, I'd be curious to period, and I know our listeners would too. Thoughts?
2: Health impact of which arrangement? Going to parks?
0: Yeah, if you had, it, well, and particularly with respect to play structures, uh, because I think this is the area that has been highlighted, um, okay. you know, if you were talking to a, a parent who had uh, three kids uh, under the age of 12 who wanted to go to the park and play uh, and or play on the play structures, what would you tell them about how to keep safe or whether it was advisable at okay. all?
2: Yeah, no, I, I would say, you know, stay on the grassy areas, don't play in the play structures, don't use the benches. Bring your own your own equipment if you're gonna play games and and don't unfortunately don't share them with anyone outside of your social bubble. And um so if you are coming together with other families from other households, even though they are your family members, most COVID transmission is happening in the community between family members. So don't assume that because you're related to them that you're protected. You, If you're gonna be close to one another at all, you're gonna to need to wear masks and you also uh, should probably social distance if you're going to you know, do any kind of, um, I know people, I see people having birthdays and picnics in the park. They need to stay separated and um, don't share anything between people outside of your social bubble being your household.
0: All right, Thank you for that. Uh, so we've, we've covered uh, libraries and uh, parks and uh, salons and the next question is from Robert in Los Altos and I believe it's about uh, swimming pools. Robert, are you still with us? Yeah, hi. Yeah, um, so my question is is about indoor pools. It's specifically in the context of um, scuba diving instruction. So I I work with a dive shop in Santa Clara. Um, We actually have our own indoor pool and are a little bit kind of confused by the, the granularity of some of the use lawments is like you can do hair salons and nail salons and gyms are open. But our situation where we might have one instructor and two or three students far apart breathing off of their own air supplies in a heavily chlorinated pool with lots of ventilation is not allowed. Um, I wanted to see if there's anyone who we could actually talk to to maybe grant waivers for that or allow that kind of activity? Dr. Smith?
1: Um, the concern really is the fact that it's indoors, not that it's a pool or scuba diving or anything else. It's the indoor activity is risky. Um, you know, If you had outdoor pools, that would be certainly permitted. Um, If you want to contact somebody at the county, you can go on our website and there is a frequently asked question uh, section under the COVID area, which has a link to an email uh, to ask for special consideration. So that would be the best thing to do at this point.
0: Thank you, Dr. Smith. And let me just say to Robert, Robert, uh, Dr. Smith is uh, directing you to a, a... what is now a beefed-up opportunity for response to individual questions. And your question's a great one, I think, because it highlights just how really unique many of these circumstances are that we uh, identify. So please do uh, take advantage of that opportunity to submit the question there. But, Robert, uh, if you get stuck, just give my office a call at 408-299-5050, 408-299-5050. Let us know uh, how you fared. Please do try to use the online portal uh, first, and uh, we'll see if we can provide some uh, further direction or assistance. Can't guarantee what the answer will be, because that's a call that gets made by the public health officer, and she has that authority. But want to make sure that the bureaucracy works to get you a a good answer, uh, understanding the very specific details of the case. All right. So, from uh, scuba diving to marriages, uh, we go to uh, Marlene in Palo Alto. Marlene, are you still on the line? And apparently not, but Marlene wants to know, uh, are marriages allowed in churches? Dr. Smith?
1: Um, Gatherings are not allowed in churches, so... And uh, they would have to be outdoors.
0: OK, so uh, just so somebody knows, because we uh, want to make the distinction uh, clear. So if uh, there was a marriage ceremony, it could probably be performed outdoors, but it could not be performed indoors because of the uh, continuing prohibition on indoor gatherings. Is that the basic distinction?
1: Right. Um. I'm presuming when she says marriages she means a congregation with a lot of attendees. Obviously if there's just a bride and a groom and a pastor, that's okay anywhere. All but right. uh not not with a, a group of attendees.
0: Then uh, moving from marriages to restaurants, Lisa in Cupertino. Let me see if Lisa's still on the line. I believe she is, has a question yes, about restaurants. Lisa? Yeah,
2: um, most discussions I've heard about reopening restaurants for indoor dining focus on keeping the diner safe or making diners feel safe so, so they'll go out. My question is, what is our county doing to look at establishing rules that focus on keeping restaurant employees, especially servers, safe? They need to meet criteria to go into work, but they're going to spend an entire shift indoors when restaurants reopen, potentially affected by every customer that comes in, each customer with unmasked time in the restaurant. So, what is our our county looking at along those lines?
0: Dr. Smith.
1: Uh, Great question. And that's um, part of the reason why our public health officers decided that indoor dining Uh, should not be permitted at this time because it's just way too risky for not only the patrons, but also the workers. And you point out the very important fact that the workers in a traditional indoor dining establishment have contact with hundreds of people in in very dangerous ways in the sense that they're very close to them. Um, And there's really no way to prevent that at this point that we can think of that's why outdoor dining is the only allowed um, model with lots of separation. Um, And um, I don't think that I have anything else to offer about that.
0: Dr. Smith, uh, the one other uh, issue that I might raise and just uh, make sure my memory is right on this one is uh, I think people are sometimes surprised, but as I understand it, Uh, When somebody sits down at a table in Santa Clara County, um, the folks at that table are supposed to be from one household only and not mixed households. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yes, the outdoor dining protocol um, means that people who are at one table should be from one household. Yeah, and I'm guessing that that is...
0: um, one that is not widely understood or uh, adhered to, but to the caller's point, that is uh, in part to, to stop the spread uh, among the general public, but also uh, if people did adhere to the rule, would expose the uh, wait staff, the servers, to um, a fewer number of uh, households and hence a fewer number of potentially problematic households. All right, from restaurants we go to, uh, Halloween Uh, so uh, Gwen in Mountain View are you still on the line with us
2: yes I am thanks for taking my call I was just wondering if anybody's um, considered what uh, the protocol should be Um, we're a little over a month away and I know or I heard that in LA they were going to ban trick-or-treating and there was an outcry so they backed off and um, I don't have little kids anymore but they would be coming to you know door-to-door
0: Dr. Smith, has this one come up yet in our – and then I'm going to go to Ms. Buada uh, for sort of an assessment of the health uh, risks associated with trick-or-treating, but has this – Dr. Smith, has this one come up in our uh, EOC, our Emergency Operations Center? Uh, are we looking ahead at that that question?
1: Uh, yes, actually. It's come up uh, uh, actually a week or so ago, and the caller's correct that uh, L.A tried to put out specific protocols, which were interpreted as preventing trick-or-treaters, and then they backed off because of the outcry. We do not have any specific uh, recommendations at this time other than the standard uh, social distancing protocols. Um, I don't think there'll be any specific uh, different recommendations coming out Probably more um, just uh, warnings. You can do social distancing as long as you're careful about it. Um, So stay tuned for more.
0: And, Dr. Smith, uh, just to put you on the spot a little bit here, um, so if somebody knocked on the door at 7 o'clock at night on Halloween and said trick-or-treat, and held out their uh, bag uh, for a treat and somebody w- with a mask on came to the door and dropped something into the bag at arm's length, uh, do we think they're compliant with uh, the
1: risk mitigation requirements of the county? So far, yes. Now the right. question for parents would be, you know, do you wanna take the risk of the candy having been contaminated or the treat having been contaminated, and um, you know that's
0: yeah. something and we're or, looking into. All right, and or the distancing and the masking being uh, less than 100 uh, percent. Ms. Bowada, what uh, I know uh, you deal with a lot of families at the clinics. What's your take on this one?
2: Well, I, I would agree with Dr. Smith, and if, if I were a parent, um, I am, but my son is quite old. I would uh, want to wash off the candy wrappers, uh, wipe them off with uh, some kind of disinfectant before the kids actually touch them with their little hands. I'd definitely not. I'd throw out anything that wasn't wrapped. I mean that you know it's just it's it's a big risk. And even though kids will probably get over any COVID that they get, the the problem is passing it to adults and. The older children, of course, pass the virus almost on an equal level as, as adults. When I'm saying, you know, teenagers, and they do a lot of trick-or-treating too. So you're taking a big risk bringing, you know, COVID into the household.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Uh, we have a question from, uh, uh, and as I say, the range is just uh, fascinating to me today in terms of specific activities that people are uh, thinking about, so we, we're we going to go from trick-or-treating to commercial real estate. Aaron uh, in Mountain View, are you still on the line? On the line? Yes, yes, I am. Speak right up, Aaron. Uh, you had a question Secret about box. commercial real estate, yes?
1: I, I do. There's been a lot of discussion around residential rent protection for Santa Clara County residents. And I own a small business in Mountain View. It's a yoga studio called Yoga Belly. And we were lucky enough to have pivoted to online classes early on, but the revenue stream has been severely impacted And coming back into
2: the physical space now that we're in the red status. My concern is in regards to my commercial lease, and my questions are, is there any analysis being done to assess the impact to small businesses around rent protection or some sort of lease amendment? Or will there, and
1: my other question is, will there be any legislature to protect businesses that have been impacted? Uh, in their ability to repay rent during mandatory closures or limited capacity periods.
0: All right. Thank you for the question. I'm going to go to George in San Jose, who had a question in that same uh, broad sphere. Uh, and then, uh, Dr. Smith, I'm going to try and answer the question, believe it or not, and uh, with help from you and or Ms. Buada after. So, George in San Jose, are you still with us?
1: Yes, I am. Nice to be uh, on.
0: Thanks for your patience. Uh, your question is what, George?
1: My question is, uh, basically, <clears throat> you know, um, th- what do the landlords, um, what do they say? I have ha- Has the county reached out to them
0: and said, let's, you know, let's reduce rent or something or, you know, has everybody complied? This is a, a major, uh, you know, cat- catastrophe. You know, it's a major pandemic in, in the world. I mean, everybody should be at least working with each other to help,
1: you know, what about evictions? I mean, there's people that have already been evicted. I mean, we're going to have 40 million people evicted out of their places.
0: All right. Hold that thought. And uh, Dr. Smith, as I said, I'm going to try and respond to both of the previous uh, callers and with their questions. Uh, here's what I uh, want to share with uh, those of you on the line. And uh, it's this. Our, our County Board of Supervisors did take action to provide uh, protection for both residential residents, uh, tenants, and small business tenants as well, commercial tenants who were defined as small businesses. Um, We began that effort in March and have updated uh, that protection uh, at least a couple of times as uh, circumstances have changed over the last half dozen months. Um, Those protections are still in place through the end of this month, September the 30th, To some extent, they have been now preempted by, meaning sort of uh, the responsibility has been assumed by the state because of state legislation, which just passed and was signed into law. Um, We're still working to determine sort of, all right, what's the interaction between our local protections uh, and the state protections? but uh, the state protections are sort of pushing the matter off even longer for residential renters for tenants in residential spaces and are going to end up making much of this a matter for our small claims court system uh, by the time we get into early next year Uh, the commercial side is not a place uh, to the caller's question where the state has stepped in and uh, so we're uh, trying to determine Uh, to what extent our commercial protections can remain in place uh, even after the state preempts activity at the residential rental level. And I'm sorry for that being so complicated, but it just is. What I would say to uh, the caller regarding uh, the commercial space is if you give my office a call, again, at 408-299-5050 later this week, uh, we'll try and get you some specific information on that because uh, it's a bit of a developing uh, story. So stay tuned on that. But um, right now we're all trying to figure out, all right, just what does the impact of the state uh, have on this? Uh, Doctor Smith, does that sound uh, about right to you?
1: Yeah, I think you got it perfectly.
0: All right, thank you. There, you'll go. You'll go far. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so. Uh, Last couple of questions, uh, and I I would uh, like to hear from both Ms. Buada and uh, Dr. Smith. Um, uh, I've got a question from uh, the web, which is, uh, is there a way we can help put an end to COVID-19 if everyone practiced quarantine 100%? And then uh, a related question, uh, Dennis in San Jose uh, has a question, I think, about the endpoint. Dennis, are you still with us on the call? no but uh dennis did want to know all right look what's the end point what what is it that will allow uh us to uh, open up again and um uh let me go first to Luisa buada for her sense of you know what's it going to take to push these numbers down and uh, to get us out of the hole we're in and then dr smith and then uh, uh we'll take it from there Ms. buada big question <laughs>
2: Uh, well, um, so what is it going to take? I, I, you know, 100% isolation, as everyone has said on this call already, economically is un- infeasible, and um, so yes, if people would, if everyone practiced strict masking, social distancing, and you know, hand washing, sanitizing, and doing those practices, I think we would be significantly further along if people would cooperate with contact tracing and so we can get those um, sort of these these, um, hot spots taken care of uh, and people are respectful of not exposing other people around them um, needlessly. I think re- social responsibility on everyone's part, everyone needs to do their part to protect the community at large, and I think that's the only way we're going to get past it. As long as there are people in our society who believe that their personal, their personal decision um, is their personal decision, decision, even if it affects other people, and that's okay, we have a problem. And in countries where they have had a lot of sense of, you know, the community's responsible and everyone's responsible to the community, they have actually reduced the incidence of the disease considerably, and they have jumped on the hot spots quickly, and people have cooperated with tracing and quarantined those people who really needed to be quarantined. I think That's the only way we're going to get past it until there's vaccines. And then, of course, herd immunity is at least 67% to above 70% in order to protect the population as a whole. And the ability, even if they found a vaccine, to have that available worldwide for whatever we are, 8 billion people, is going to take a number of years, even if we can find one that is sufficiently effective. And if, I just want to remind people, HIV has been around since the early 80s, and we have not a vaccine yet for that. So it, it is a challenging quest, and there, there is uncertainty, but we can protect ourselves and each other by being responsible.
0: All right. Thanks so much. Dr. Smith, what's it going to take to get us out of this?
1: Well, I think uh, Louisa is absolutely right. The key issue here is personal responsibility and the responsibility that we all take for our neighbors and our families and our friends. It's all about behavior. And in this particular pandemic, the uh, American kind of uh, extreme value for autonomy has really done us a disservice because. We have people who are doing things that put not only themselves, but others at risk and feel a right to do that. And that's a real problem. Um, There's not gonna be a magic uh, immunization vaccine anytime soon, uh, despite what you're hearing, because as Louisa points out, even if we instantaneously tomorrow had the vaccine material, the major issue is how do you distribute it? So we're going to continue to rely upon people to be socially distant and obeying the rules, and that's going to be a real challenge. I think the reality is that we're talking about at least a two-year event, um, possibly more. Um, pandemics end in different ways. Um, sometimes the virus will change such that it's less infectious, less problematic. Sometimes we'll just get used to it. Um, other times we will find a medical treatment, uh, but at this point the only thing that we can do is a behavior change.
0: All right. Thank you both very much uh, for joining us today. Uh, Dr. Jeff Smith and Ms. Luisa Buada, the CEO of the Ravenswood uh, Clinics, uh, very much appreciate your being here and very helpful uh, in sharing uh, your insight uh, and information with folks on the call. Before folks step away, I would just like to uh, say uh, thank you to all who participated. Regrets that we could not get to all the questions. We had a lot of good questions today, and even though we made extra, extra time uh, and had a lot of good questions, we did fit in. I know there were a lot we couldn't get to. And uh, we'll keep trying uh, in subsequent uh, town halls. Uh, if uh, you would like to uh, listen to some portion of this uh, call, again, perhaps you came on late, or if you've got a friend or a colleague who uh, would find it helpful, uh, please refer them to our supervisor committee and webpage. Uh, it'll be up sometime in the next couple of days uh, as, after we uh, get it posted. And uh, as always, I want to make sure you know that uh, at the end of the call here, at the sound of the tone, you can uh, please feel free to leave a comment, a message. Uh, you just stay on the call after uh, the uh, program has wrapped up and listen for the tone. Anything you'd like to share with us, uh, anything you think we can do better, please feel free to let us know. Uh, I, I value those comments uh, and we take them to heart. Uh, so please do. And uh, finally, uh, just uh, to sort of pull all of this together for the uh, the day, um, Uh, We are clearly in uh, a new environment and uh, we're all going to do the best we can to cope. Uh, I think the uh, passing reference earlier in the call to risk mitigation efforts means, all right, we know that this is something we're now going to have to live with for a while. How can we do it as safely as possible uh, while still going about uh, our daily lives to the greatest degree possible, consistent with the health and well-being of folks in the county? Um, it's going to require an adjustment for all of us. And uh, I so appreciate the fact that literally thousands of folks were on the call today to listen, learn, and uh, make those adjustments that are going to keep us all safe and uh, put us all back to work, uh, we hope, sooner rather than later. Thanks again. Uh, We will be uh, back next month with the monthly Telephone Town Hall. And uh, as I say, keep yourselves well, keep yourself safe, and uh, take care of the ones you love.
2: That's it for today.